It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Vicky Patterson is a reality TV star and presenter who is best known for her appearances on Geordie Shore, The Breakup and Vicky Patterson, No Filter. In 2015, she won I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And since being crowned Queen of the Jungle, Vicky has gone on to host the podcast Vicky Patterson, The Secret 2. This year, she published her debut book, The Secret to Happy, How to Build Resilience, Banish Self-Doubt, and to Live the Life You Deserve. And today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So hello, Vicky. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Pell. How are you? Uh, oh, you know, I'm quite tired. It's been quite the week in politics this week, so... Uh... You're not fucking wrong, mate. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, even me, who doesn't consider ourselves to be, like, very politically minded or driven, like, even I couldn't miss it, like... Oh, man, it's everywhere. The cut through of the Prime Minister's behaviour is literally everywhere. So, yeah, I mean... Whew. So I'm a bit tired, but other than that, I'm all good. It's just very like, you know, you feel like, is he going to resign? And you get really anxious and fraught and then you have to go back and then it's like, oh, it's coming back around again. Constantly on like a roundabout. It's the feeling of limbo, isn't it? Like oh, you yeah, could prepare yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible, lass. We'll have a nice little hour's reprieve from it, eh? Yes, indeed. To talk nicely about nice things. So this is all about letter writing. So are you much of a letter writer or...? Do you know, I feel really guilty because I, I, I think it's a bit of a forgotten medium and I think it's a shame. I love the written word. I love writing in general. And I suppose, like... I think when I was younger, I vaguely remember like having, being forced to have like a French pen pal at school, you know, and like, honestly, embarrassingly enough, it's probably the last time I sat down and wrote a real letter before that letters to Santa Claus or something like, honestly, last, like it's been years. I do still write, you know, like I feel like my Instagram posts, like they're longer than their average, like messages to me, ma'am. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just a different way of writing now. We just have a different way of, of expressing that particular medium. I had a German pen pal 
I often wonder what they're up to now. Like back in the day, you would have kept in touch with them forever, wouldn't you? If you met them now, you would have kept in touch with them forever, like on Facebook or on Instagram. Whereas like actually the letter writing thing, even though it is a lost art and there is something beautiful about like a handwritten letter, actually it had its limitations in that sort of longevity because you can't even remember the name of your pen pal. I can't remember the name of mine and we, we've totally lost touch with them. And so, yeah, you know, maybe modern technology has advanced us in that, although definitely we get stuck with people who... If I was actually your friend, I'd see you. Yeah. Listen, I have no desire to know what, like, Gabriel is still doing. I don't. All he knew about me is that my sister had brown eyes and I knew how to use a pencil sharpener. That is, like, <laughs> that was the extent of me letting us back to Gabriel, like, 25 years ago. Like, he did not, he does not need to be looking at my holidays in Magaluf on Facebook. Poor thing. So, no. What, maybe Gabriel's, like, the editor of French Vogue now or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, he could, he could be. He was born. <laughs> Boring, so I doubt it. But um, I, I feel fair play. You know, whatever Gabriel is, I just hope he's happy. Yeah, good luck to Gabriel. Happy in France somewhere, hopefully. So on this podcast, we have had people who've had letters from like, lots of people have had letters from Tony Blair, letters from Nelson Mandela, the Queen of Denmark, someone had had a letter from. I mean, pretty impressive. Do you have any like letters of note that you have received from someone? God, I'm so crap compared to everyone else. Do you know when I was younger, I did like the, the Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think I got a letter from Sophie and Edward. Oh, see, that's royalty. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like I was on telly. I remember it was my first furrow into the world of uh, glitz and glamour and fame. And uh, yeah, I baked like a Victoria sponge and they come round and looked at it. And I was on like the local news being like, yeah, they were, they were dead nice. Yeah, so normal. Like that type of thing. <laughs> um, and I believe I got a letter to say like, oh, it was lovely to meet you and congratulations. Good luck on your Duke of Edinburgh endeavours, that sort of thing. So yeah. When I was a kid, like Edward was the sort of joke royal. Like he was a bit sort of nothing. Then he married Sophie. And now that pair... They are the least controversial of all the royals. But yeah, so oh, that's that's royalty. That's Sophie and Edward. And they are unscathed in the royal controversies. So you don't need to be embarrassed about that letter at all. As far as things go, I think it was pretty safe. Yep, all a nice day. I got a um, letter, well, an invitation last week to uh, go to Clarence House in celebration of the charity Refuge. And it was from Camilla and, sorry, the Duchess of... Uh, I was going to say her first name, Zach. Go on, Gail. <laughs> I don't refer to her as the Duchess to her face. I mean, I'd call her Camilla. I've met her a couple of times. But the, the invitation you get is like on the outside, it's all gold. It's proper glitzy. And it's like you have to wear like lounge suits and, and formal wear. And What's a lounge suit? That to me sounds like a tracksuit. Lounge suit is like not, not black tie, but dress smart. That basically means. But I had to look that stuff up like when I was first elected because I never, I didn't know what lounge suits was. But it's sort of like smart, but like smart casual in the royal's head. Like smart casual if you are, you know, in charge of the country. Um, <laughs> but when I, when I got this invitation... I was sat with a young woman who I've been supporting in my office and I was trying to encourage her to go and get some counselling for some of the stuff she'd been through. And she said, I don't want to talk to anyone else. They don't, you know, that people are a bit fancy and they're not like you and me, Jess. And I said, while you've been sat here, I received a letter from Clarence House. Like, <laughs> what makes you think I'm not fancy? I'm, Excuse me. I'm well fancy, thanks. <laughs> don't bundle me in with you. Yeah, don't, I have, don't be like, I've got oh, a lounge suit. <laughs> yeah. 
you don't even know what a lounge suit is. <laughs> but she, she still was like, no, I'm not speaking to anyone else, only you. So what we've asked you to do in this podcast is to think about three different people you would want to write a letter to. And it came from essentially me writing sort of final letters to my family and kids during the pandemic, because I was dealing as a member of parliament, dealing with lots of people who were very, very suddenly losing their families and telling me what they wish they'd said to them and wish they'd told them. And so it made me write these letters to my kids and my husband uh, and in fact my friends as well. And I called my friends up and said, bring them. So we've asked you to think about uh, three different people you would want to write a letter to. And the first one is the person who means the world to you. So who have you chosen for that, Vicky? I chose my mum. Oh. I know. I feel like it's potentially quite a um, common answer. Oh, Um, absolutely. 100%. But that is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, my mom's like my. I mean, we've had like the, the a complicated relationship over the years and all of the usual ups and downs that mother daughter relationships have. But now, like, I'm 34, she's 64, and she's absolutely like my best friend and my biggest inspiration. And like, you know, like my biggest cheerleader too. So I'm um, incredibly fortunate to call on my mom and like even more than that, you know, friend, confidant, therapist, everything. So yeah, Rad. I'd definitely write her a letter. And you you say you had a difficult relationship at points, just the sort of normal rule of thumb of difficult teen. Well, yeah, I mean, c- come on, we've all been there, you know, kissing boys you shouldn't, coming home later than you should and all of that shite. But, I mean, when I'd sort of grown out of all of that, you know, your typical, like, terrible teens and done the whole, like, going away to uni thing, it looked as though our relationship was going to recover and... I, you know, I was going to be able, we we're going to be able to be close again. And I started doing Geordie Shaw, which put like an incredible strain on our relationship. Like my mom had, in her opinion, brought up this like bright, compassionate, kind young girl. And she saw very little signs of that in the, the version of me that was shown on the telly. So she just couldn't understand like my motivations for doing something like that. She couldn't understand the person I was becoming like why I didn't respect myself more and move away. And it, it was it was really difficult because I was in myself struggling with how I was being represented and all like trying to navigate this space that I didn't understand and this world I'd found myself in. So I was always defensive and it was just a really difficult time. So I think in a way, yes, loads of things we went through, super relatable, nothing out of the ordinary, but then other stuff, you know, a bit more personal to us. That's a, I mean, that's not a universal experience at all. To watch your kid, I've got a 17-year-old son, and to watch them being represented how you don't experience them and that seeming like a sort of very powerful tool and lots of people talking to you about it. Like, I would find it very, very, very difficult, I think, to see my child being represented how I didn't experience them. And do, do, you, do you feel that they represented you poorly? Um, I think there's an awful lot to be said for taking ownership for your past mistakes. And I always endeavour to be really honest. And, you know, like there was a huge part of the person that was on that show was actually just me. I was early 20s. I had all of this. Like I was lost. I was like very angry. Um, I felt powerless and it, it manifested itself in a really horrible way. But more than that, mate. 
I'm just not a very nice drunk as well. <laughs> so all of this stuff, you know, being played out on camera and like feeling like yeah, it's a pressure cooker, that environment, that reality TV space and all of that. It just it kind of brought out really just the worst version of me, you know. And yes, there are elements of things where I say, God, I was led down the garden path a bit there or I was definitely manipulated a bit there. But for the most part, like bit of clever editing here and there but it was me it I just wasn't a, in a very very happy place in my life and I was out of my depth in the space I found myself in so yeah so I I'd love to blame other people and I can do a little bit but predominantly it was me yeah the thing is I think that it's funny because some people and I've dealt with lots and lots of people who've had unhappy things happen to them in their lives as well as you know having that personally as well And lots and lots of people, their behaviour when they're upset, in trauma, out of control, feeling a little bit riddleless in the world is withdrawal. And people can understand that and are sympathetic, actually, towards people who get smaller when they're suffering trauma. People have much less sympathy and understanding of people who grow when they're suffering trauma. So when I am feeling at my lowest, I will turn into a monster, essentially. I I will act out. It's a, it's a sort of form of self-harm. Like, well, I already think the worst thing of myself and I'm being portrayed as being the worst. So actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally lean into that. And it's much harder, actually, especially in, you know, essentially a medium that is like, you know, for clicks and likes and, and volume of viewers. It's very hard in that environment for somebody, you know, to be presented sympathetically. But actually, I think as a society, we've got to, you know, I I meet women who've been suffered terrible, terrible abuses. And when they're, you know, somebody tries to intervene, they, they might spit in their faces, for example. But you know, it doesn't mean that person isn't struggling or that they don't deserve help. And but people find that very difficult to understand. No, I, I mean, I can completely, I can believe it, you know, like it's everybody has their own defense mechanism, don't they? And some people, like you say, they go very small, they cry, they can become what you would imagine a victim looks like. But for me, like I always, it's always false bravado. It's always like nothing bothers me, like say what you want, I'm tough, I'm hard. At least it used to be. Now I cry all the time. <laughs> I'm still a bit like I'm really tough, actually. Actually, I'm nails. I still, that you know, it's a, it's a defense mechanism, though. Like, you can hit me with whatever, just keep it coming, like, whatever. But that is, you know, it's, it's fundamentally not true. But yeah, that must have been hard for your mum then to see that. And also, she, knowing you, she must have known that, you know, you were in pain and things. And that's horrible for a parent. Just must have been awful for her to watch, like, this. What, who she like university educated like world at our feet as far as she was concerned like bright funny girl just turn into something she completely didn't recognize and also be hated by quite a lot of people as well you know like Newcastle as a re- like as a as a city but the northeast in general as a region was vehemently against Geordie Shaw like they thought we were misrepresenting a whole region and they were so mad at the binge drinking culture we were promoting and I remember like MPs even talking about it and stuff and I thought you just need fucking more to talk about like (laughs) if if, if this is like your top topic of conversation like get a life um so no I I don't know like it, it was hard for her to just feel like she didn't know her daughter and I didn't help. I was so lost myself. So for a long time, our relationship was incredibly difficult. And I feel so fortunate that um, 
we've been given the opportunity to not only repair it, but like be stronger. And um, what was the turning point? Do you think what was the turning point? Just Georgie Shaw stopping or? Oh, well, I mean, that's still going strong, mate. I left. I made a decision to leave. I dragged it out far longer than I should have through fear of not knowing what I could do outside of it. And, and also, you know, people around me telling that me there was nothing outside there for me, like I had to stay and all the rest of it. But I eventually made that leap. We began to rebuild our relationship organically. And then uh, I went and did I'm a Celebrity. And uh, like my mum flew out with us as well as my agent. And like she got to watch, like it's madness. Like, but after, I found so much of myself on that show, like was able to f- have a bit of like, because I honestly had such low self-worth after Jodie Shaw. I believed I was all of the horrible things everyone said and uh, just this monster of a person. So to feel like the British public getting behind me and feel it, like f- people falling in love with us and seeing me for really me, like it gave me confidence, but it also like made my mum feel so proud. So big, big moment for that, like. Yeah, it often rehabilitates people, actually, that show, doesn't it? Like, I mean, maybe a bit less so now that it's not in the jungle, but like even like Katie Price and that being on it, like, you know, you saw a different side of her that you weren't expecting. And whether you liked her because of that or you didn't, it does just humanise people. Famous people are terribly dehumanised as if they don't bleed the same and feel the same way when obviously they do. But yeah, I find that, you know, I think it is quite humanising for, and camaraderie, like people just being nice to each other and acting as a team. There's something nice about that as well that we very rarely gets represented on the television outside of sport. No, it's so lovely. I think it's, it was like, I'm hugely grateful to like ITV and, you know, I'm a celebrity, Ant and Deck, even the lads. I like mean, every- obviously, yeah. <laughs> they're the original Geordie Shaw. Yeah, got got to give a shout out to me boys. Um, so yeah, I just feel like they're grateful to all of them for the opportunity because yeah, right, like it's a huge British institution. Like you sit down, you watch it with all the family, you get behind people, you see people for what they really are. Like you can act like whoever you want to act like when you're sitting on like the this morning sofa for five minutes it's not hard to put on a facade it's not hard to be that best version of you but fucking let's have you in like 50 degrees let's have you like sweating your tits off let's have you hungry let's have you missing your mom let's have you with loads and loads of big personalities like let's have you scared and let's see what you're really made of like you can't pretend to be anyone you're not strip everything back and you see people for what they really are and they're human we are human and it's such a it's an empowering experience if you're ever lucky enough to do it but also like watching it you feel like you're part of something and yeah it's amazing and I'll I'll always be jealous of everyone who goes in it oh really oh yeah it looks harrowing I don't want to eat crap (laughs) I don't want rats going on me um I'm fine with it me mate honestly I've had far worse things in my mouth Like when they were looking for vaccine volunteers originally and loads of people were like, well, you know, you just don't know what's in it. And I thought, I've seen you take much worse from a fella in the pub. Like you didn't, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You didn't ask him where, you know, where that came from. That crap that you took, you know, way back when. There's those memes going around on Instagram, isn't there, where it's like, I care what goes into my body. And they're like, shut up, Stacey. I've seen your exes. No, you fucking yeah. don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've seen seen what you've put in your body before, love. Yeah, that is uh, very funny. So so your mum was really proud of you then and really... So proud. So proud and so so happy that, like, she just... Everyone else saw what she knew. 
to be true of me, you know, and like, it's lovely. It was lovely. She worked within like a newspaper in Newcastle and whereas she wasn't in journalism herself, she's always been in the charity sector. It was like the in-house charity for the for Newcastle Chronicle. And she used to hate it. Like she used to avoid some people if they'd ran nasty stories and she used to, yeah, she, if she didn't, she wouldn't actively tell people she was my mom. And then all of a sudden, like all these people who'd like wrote nasty things or, you know, been really snidey about me because I was in Georgia Shore, all of a sudden they were all up our arse. And she was just, she just in a way felt really, you know, vindicated, like, ha. <laughs> Good. That's really, what's your mom's name? She's called Carol. 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 She goes mad. I always introduce her. I'm like, this is my mum. I know. I do I do that. I'm like, this is Tom's mum about my mother-in-law. And she's like, I don't have an identity. <laughs> Outside of you, Dickhead. Yeah. You, you, I, when you're not there, I do have a name. Like, it's very egocentric that you think people don't exist when you're not around. <laughs> I feel like it's really cute. We're like, this is my mum. I'm so proud of that. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I'm so happy that she is my mum. And that's how I mean it. But she's right. She is the protagonist in her own play, not just a secondary yes. character in mine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids are always like, oh, God, I'm always just going to be considered to be Jess Phillips' son. And like, I'm like that. Well, do something amazing. That's then. what I was going to say. Get off do- your ass. <laughs> do something interesting if you don't want that to be the case. Work so hard that she is nothing but your mum. Yeah, that's it. I want to be like, oh, she's Harry Phillips' mum. Like, that's what, absolutely what I want. But, yeah, they're all like, oh, that's all anyone ever says to us. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Get off the bloody computer and go and do a day's bloody work. There's worse um, problems to have, lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are, do you know what I mean? You've got a mum. Be cheerful about that, <laughs> at least. So you were, you were going to write this letter to your mum. So how would you sign off the letter to your mum? What would you want to say to her? I would say, like, sign it to your daughter always. Your loving daughter always. Oh, God, honestly, I feel like I might cry a bit. I think coming from, like, the northern very like traditionally stoic background that I've come from and certainly my mum and dad have come from you know like my mum and dad like I knew they loved us but they didn't tell us like till I think I was at uni and we had loads of time apart and I used to say on the end of the phone like I I love you and they used they started to say it back like they it wasn't at first so like I definitely say like your loving daughter just because now like People chuck it around so much more, don't they? Like, love you, Alan. Yeah, yeah, much more so yeah. than my family ever yeah. would have when I was a kid. Yeah, and, and even mine when I was young, you know? So, no, so, like, now I make a real... You never know when the last time you're going to speak to someone is, and that breaks my heart. But, like, I make sure I tell everybody who's important to me, like, I love them whenever I, like, last see them. So, yeah, so it would definitely be your loving daughter, Vicky. Oh. She sounds excellent, Carol. I hope she now like goes around being like that. That's my daughter. <laughs> Until I fuck up again, yeah. With all the swagger. <laughs> I mean, we'll all fuck off at some point. Okay? <laughs> We're all going to do it. So the second letter we asked you to write is to somebody who is no longer here. So who would that be to? Um, sadly, I lost my best friend. It'll be four years this year. And he was relatively young when he died. He was 37, Paul. Paul Burns. And he, I'd known him for about 20 years. 
we had, he was like this larger than life character in Newcastle. And like, honestly, everybody who met him absolutely loved him. And like, he had one of these magnetic personalities. And I'm not ashamed to admit, like I was so, even before I knew him, I wanted to know him, you know? And he was like funny and witty and loud and like, oh, just the best person. We became friends through like working in various nightclubs and bars and stuff. And my relationship just grew. And like, we had this incredible group of like, girl mates and like Paul was just you know it wasn't until after he left that I realized like I knew he was a great fella and I knew he was great for a good time and a very supportive and very kind friend and just just I'm not even romanticizing him like this is true like you know like don't get me wrong he was not bitch you when he wanted to be as well but like <laughs> he was just brilliant and like I realize now he's gone like how he was the glue of our group like when we lost him like we all sat around and read out like our last messages from him and, like, he routinely checked in on all of her in a way that, like, you know, a lot of people, we just, you don't think to do. You're so caught up in your everyday life, like, your goals, like, your immediate family, your fella, like, everything you want. Like, you very rarely take a second to stop and make sure, like, everybody in your friendship group's okay, especially when you get older. And I, I realised there and then that Paul had showed me, like, the friend I wanted to be. Um, and I've, I've tried so hard since then, since losing Paul to fill his shoes and like always check in on me mates. And if any of the girls are quiet in the group chat, I make sure I send them a message privately because that's what Paul would have done. And I endeavour to live in a way that like not only honours like him and his memory and everything, but also like he'd be proud of. And I know he was so proud of the things I was doing and, like, the things I was achieving. So, like, every time I get a little work win, I think of Paul as well. I dedicated my book to him. Oh. And how did he die? Um, Paul's heart stopped beating um, after a particularly wild night out, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, it was for his birthday and I'd been there with him. We'd had a nice meal in a private in a private dining room in a restaurant, and um, I'd had a cake and everything. And that's the last picture I've got of him is me and him together with his cake. And I'd gone home because I was what like thirty at the time, fucking done with clubbing and all that stuff. But he went out with some of his younger lad mates, and like I'm so pleased I got that last night with him, last beautiful moment because it was amazing. It was such a lovely night, but um. I just wish we had more. Yeah, 37 is an incredibly young age to die. Incredibly young. Did you find it when, when it happened, especially if you've just been with somebody, it's like hard to believe. You can't compute the information. So a, a colleague of mine who was much older, 73, in fact, died recently. But I'd been with him the day that he died. And so when someone told me, I just was like, no, you must have got that wrong because I was with him and it's amazing how your brain will sort of try and act resiliently to protect you, to immediately assume it's a mistake. Like the trauma is a mistake. It must be a mistake. Actually can't be dead. Yeah, but it does. It just tries to protect you, doesn't it? And for like, I remember getting the phone call and I can remember the day, like me and the girls, like Paul never got a hangover. 
like despite being 37 and us being like just I never got a hangout <laughs> yeah god don't we all but I remember we were just like some of them were in my 20s some of them were 30s but you know we all got hangovers and everyone was like chatting like how's the heads today blah 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 and it was so unlike Paul to not be his usual cheery chirpy self and because he never got hangovers well like why isn't he talking in the group chat and everyone started to call and everyone started to send messages and we became more and more anxious as the day wore on. And I still remember getting the call from one of my mates, Emma. And, uh, yeah, I thought, and you know, the really horrible thing is that I remember wishing it was someone else that they'd got it wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. That's a totally normal reaction. I remember when my mum was really ill and just before she died, I remember getting in a lift with two women two women had got in the lift with us and we would like been a bit jolly and chatty with them and they were basically a bit rude it was like a mother and a daughter in our local shopping center in the ball ring in Birmingham and they were basically a bit rude and a bit standoffish and got out and then afterwards I just thought I just said to my mum why is it that you're gonna fucking die and they're not do you know what I mean like that's not it's not fair like it's not fair but there is no hierarchy there is no fairness there is no and also it's what you have to do when you suffer a grief is you have to feel what you feel and know it's okay. Like, cause it's very conflicting that feeling like it's awful to feel that you wish it was somebody else or that people are lying to you about it and stuff, but you just have to sort of process and know that it's okay. And it's just shit. And people try and say nice things to you. Like they're in a better place. And I think where's better than with us. Yeah, I know. But there's no right thing to say. There is no right thing. I always just say, shit, that's so shit. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And it, it, you just, it's horrible, mate. Like, obviously in an ideal world, we'd never lose anyone important to her and all the rest of it. But like, I had to learn like a a really hard lesson that year. And it's that, unfortunately, some people, even though we want them to be like, the loves of our life or we want them to be like a character who comes with you all the way and someone who by our side forever some people just come in your life to teach you something and they're not there forever so I try to always remember what Paul was brought here to teach me and it was the importance of being a good friend the importance of being caring the importance of putting other people first sometimes you know and um yeah that's the only thing that helps me make sense of anything that Paul makes me better now. Well, you'd be incredibly proud of you. I feel certain to say that. And so how would you sign off a letter to Paul? I'd say, um, I miss you and love you every day. And that even though you're not here... <laughs> so sorry. It's all right. You're bound to be upset. It's your best friend. People don't give anywhere near enough credit for it. If my best friend died... That would be the same level of grief that I felt about my mother dying, uh, you know, but people, we don't, like, you wouldn't get time off work for your best friend dying, but you would get it for your immediate family. It's a deep and horrible trauma. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> I'd say I love you and miss you every day. And even though you're not here, you inspire me to be a better person. I love you, Vicky. <laughs> Well, I'm sure he felt the same way about you. I'm sure he did because you don't get the feelings that you have when it's not reciprocated. You know, it's, um, what is it the, the Queen said? Oh, gosh, I feel like I might cry. 
grief is the price we pay for love. That is just such a lovely thing to say. Like, you know, like that is the price you pay. I believe Dolly Parton said you can't have the rainbow without the rain. Similarly, (laughs) it's a similar sentiment, but the Queen is, I mean, one is, they're both queens in my eyes, but uh, Queen Elizabeth is the queen of the British Isles, (laughs) United Kingdom. Dolly Parton is the queen of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have to pledge an allegiance to the queen which I do with uh, relish and desire. I don't mind pledging an allegiance to the Queen at all, but I would also gladly pledge an allegiance to Dolly Parton. Um, <laughs> or Dolly. <laughs> I, would, I, I would be so happy to pledge an allegiance to Dolly Parton. We'll be back after a short break. In the meantime, why not check out another podcast from the team behind yours sincerely. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have started to become friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because, believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. I can't wait to get into this, so make sure you subscribe or follow Doctor Next Door from wherever you usually get your podcasts. Oh, hang on a second. That must be the Doctor Next Door now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So... The final letter we've asked you to think about and the person is somebody who might just not know how significant a role that they have played in your life. So who would you pick for that? So this one I really like agonised over a little bit because like my life's really fast and lots of people have come into it at different times and, and meant something to me. But like I considered like the most pivotal change in my life was right and it was when I left Geordie Shaw and 
had this faith in myself that there was something else out there for me and I wasn't doing myself any favors in that space anymore and I wouldn't have come to that decision if it hadn't been for yes like me mom and yes like me own resolve as well but there's this one woman we'd had like our fair share of like quite shitty producers on Geordie Shaw people whose only like only motivations were ratings and keeping NTV happy and you know salacious behavior like they didn't care about your mental health your general well-being nothing not you as a person and then we got this producer in who was wildly regarded right as being like so overqualified to be doing Geordie Shaw she'd been doing like she was the like you know deputy executive producer on Britain's Got More Talent like she knew Simon Cowell you know like she was like she was big licks and like we got her and like nobody could believe it and everyone was like oh my god and I was so excited to meet this like real powerhouse of a woman and I was like oh is she gonna hear me is she gonna think I'm this is she gonna and actually like she saw something in me that like I didn't even know was still there anymore like she said like you're so much brighter than you're giving yourself credit for and instead like you're with this I was with I was in quite an unhealthy relationship at the time and and she was like and you're coming you're not coming across as this like funny and strong person you're allowing this relationship to not only like consume you but like it's a you're being abused you know and like I think a couple of people knew the sort of thing things I was going through and that the relationship was very unhealthy but nobody had actually like, said the words yeah. yeah nobody had stood to my face and said like we see what's happening and like through her nurturing me I was able to get out of that relationship continue on Geordie Shaw and actually like become like a slight even just a slightly better version of myself going out of that and then eventually She said, like, you know, there's more to you. And I definitely think you've got a career in TV and a career to do this and you're bright and you're smart and all these things. And she was half the reason I left. I mean, that's weird producing, isn't it? Making your stars leave. (laughs) That must, you know, that means that, you know, she she meant it. Like, you know, it's not good for her, was it, necessarily? Oh, mate, she lasted five minutes, man. The only only reason she came on Geordie Shaw, and I'm sure she won't mind us saying this, I'm not name-checking her anyway, but Simon Cowell wouldn't bunk her up and give her the big job. He wouldn't give her, like, exec. And she was like, I've proved myself, why won't you? I'll go. And he's like, he won't go. So she left. She left. He realised he needed that and he got her back. So she didn't care. You know what she was... Oh, well, good for her. She played the system. Yeah. I mean, she got what she wanted and she gave me this amazing faith back in myself. So she cared more about the individuals than the machine, which... Do you not want to tell me her name? I don't think I should. No, that's fine if you don't want to. That's fine. We'll call her Producer X. So, and do you think that she knows how much that meant to her? No. No way. No way. Like, I think she was just like one of these badass boss bitches who like just everything she touches you know just becomes that little bit better and I think she went back to her amazing high-flying job on Britain's Got Talent god knows she's probably doing something even more amazing now and she probably I don't even know if she even thinks of me anymore she probably but for me that moment was so significant and like I often like think like god if you if you could impress a person like that Vicky like you know it just gave me so much more confidence and belief in myself there is something amazing about and you will have been this person for somebody else and you don't realize it that's the thing is that 
there is something, especially if you're a woman and you're feeling a bit unsure about yourself in a work environment or a personal environment. There is something about a woman who enters your life and just acts with total self-possession and confidence. And it's just very matter of fact about things that are going on that without thought, you know, it's not it's not calculated to inspire. Like so many people who I meet who are genuinely inspiring, like people who've taken on, you know, made the police force not be racist anymore or the people who stood up against Harvey Weinstein, I've met all of them. When you make out to them that they're inspiring as people, they're like, oh, me. Like, you know, <laughs> really they're like, don't be daft. Like, you know, they're, they're like, oh, God, I really was having a bad day that day. I don't know what you saw that I didn't see. And then so what I think people should take on board, especially women, is that they're probably that person for somebody else. So you, since she gave you that sort of lease of life to believe that, you know, there was something more and that you could do it, you will have undoubtedly, a bit like with your sort of carrying Paul forward, you will undoubtedly, you will have come across some young woman who wanted uh, either on Instagram or in real life or whatever, you know, was feeling a bit like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And you will have said something that to you meant absolutely nothing. (laughs) And to them is like, oh, my God, that is like the light bulb moment. And I think that people should recognise much more that they are that person. People don't have any idea that they are that person. She doesn't have any idea that you, that she was that person to you, does she? No, I honestly, like, you've just got no idea. But then I always say, right, like, if, you, if you're going to work on yourself and, 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 like, you know, read more and do Pilates and, like, get a life coach and, and really focus on being this, like, really evolved, better best shiny version of you like all you're doing like you're not intimidating other people like all you're doing is encouraging other women around you to like do the same like and that's it like I, I think when you do like shine you encourage others to shine with you and that's what she did like I was impressed by her gives permission it's okay to be this sort of woman in this environment it's okay you you have my permission to be forthright to be powerful To say, I'm the best at the thing I do. Like women are dreadful at praising themselves, whereas I live sitting at work in an environment where men praise themselves all the time. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like I'm the fucking best at this, man. Like we never say that. Like, actually, I'm really clever. And, And people say, oh, you know, oh, how did you get your job? I was like, I'm just really, 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 really good with people. That's how. I've just got a talent for it. And yeah, like, but we never say that, do we? They're like, yeah, I was in the right place at the right time. Or I was very lucky. Or When someone says they like your top and you have to pretend it costs a lot less money than it did. You have to go like, oh, I got this from a charity. Like, why do we do that? Why do we lie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Only Primark. Like, that's like yeah, my absolute exactly. favourite. And I'm fucking wearing Dolcin Gabbana and I've, I've spent like six months saving for it. I don't know why we do it. <laughs> But it's something inward to be, and I suppose to a certain extent it's endearing. But you know, if we're all, if we're afraid of our own power, we're just encouraging that narrative. Let's own it. So no, she gave me permission to be better. And you have to admit, like what you did at the beginning when you were talking about your time on Geordie Shore. Like I, I can admit the things I'm good at, but I'm also happy to admit when I'm a bit shitty. Like you know, you don't. It doesn't mean going around being the cock of the walk and being arrogant at all times. Like you know, own your own your mistakes, dudes. Like I make mistakes all the time. I say stupid things because I was showing off, and then I'll pay for it. And all of that, <laughs> like it, those things happen to me all the time. But that said. 
I also own the things that I'm good at. Why should I only own my failures? Self-awareness, mate, and it's really attractive. Like, if a fella walks in and he's like, I'm really bad at communicating, but I want to be better, like, blah, 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 but also, like, I will put you first. Like, I'd be, like, falling off my seat. I'd be so attracted, you know, like, wet, wet everywhere. But, like, the thing... <laughs> But like, you know, for some reason, like we struggle to do it as much. So now I think if we find it attractive in someone else, like we just need to realise it. It's yeah, yeah, it's too. attractive to you. But also like most people will have inspired somebody. We make out like it's people who deserve belong on a pedestal, but most people are just like, like, you know, will have come across somebody at some point and said something nice to them and that will have changed their life. And like, if you think you're a person who's changed someone's life, like that makes you feel pretty good. Like, that's like, well, yeah, that was me. I, I did that. That's pretty excellent. Um, so that's, you know, she sounds like a, a great blueprint for the future. So how would you sign off a letter to her? You have no idea what your kindness meant to me. I'll always be grateful. Vicky? such a you know a sort of varied mix of the people who make you better the things that have made you worse and being your, your best self and isn't your book is all about that isn't it like you know trying to be happy can I just say I've never read a book title that was quite as it sounds like it's like going to be the cheeriest book you know it's literally like you know, the secret to be happy, how to build resilience, banish self-doubt and live the life you deserve. It's so like, I mean, you're going right in there with it being an uplifting book. It's January, mate. We're all miserable. Get off me dick, right? <laughs> the fuck up, essentially. <laughs> Honestly, right? Like, before we all get really scornful and incredibly British about it, fact is, right, I have had my fair share of ups and downs. And even just being 34, like, I feel like I've, I've lived and... I've had more heartbreak than I want anyone else to have gone through. I've experienced loss, grief, low self-worth, poor body image, like trolling on social media, like suicidal thoughts, disordered eating, you name it. And I'm not alone. I'm the the, the idea that I'm the only person who's ever gone through that is mental. But the thing is, if you take a look at social media, like one quick scroll through Instagram, you'd be forgiven for thinking that you are the only person who doesn't like what they see in the mirror or the only person who has a row with their boyfriend every so often or the only person who doesn't have it all figured out. We live in this world where perfect has been made normal, so therefore normal is no longer desirable and it's bullshit. It is bullshit. Total bullshit. We very rarely, yeah, very, like my husband gets, uh, and this is partially sexist, he'll be painted as being some sort of fucking hero because, like, I'm a powerful woman and because... Oh, because he goes, because he puts up with it. Because he off. puts up with it and he looks after the kids and, like, and... Um, and Your like, kids, are, yours his and his kids. kids as well. Yeah, exactly. And, like, sometimes, like, he will, he will be, not by him ever, but by others, be, be painted as if, like, you know, what a great husband. I'm very lucky to have him. And, of course, all those things are absolutely true. But, you know, what I never, what never comes across is that, you know, on a, a near daily basis, I mutter twat as I leave the room. Uh, <laughs> such a twat. Like, like, you know, that, that, like, oh God, you're such a twat. Like that, you know, that doesn't get on Instagram. It's just pictures of him, like sipping a margarita, looking fierce in a tracksuit. Like, <laughs> a lounge suit. A lounge suit. <laughs> My husband has never worn a lounge suit in his life. <laughs> but no, like it's just, 
it's it was this book was a book I wish had been around in my twenties when I was struggling, you know, and I felt like everyone had it figured out and I didn't. Um, we we internalize everything. We it feels under so much pressure to be something we're not and have things all figured out and be this bright, shiny, best version of ourselves all the time. When the fact of the matter is, we're all just works in progress, trying to blindly fumble our way through and figure it out. So, I wanted it to make people realize that you don't have to have it all figured out you know and also like we're all a bit crap we're all faking it like everybody in every job ever is basically making it up from day to day apart from maybe like brain surgeons people who are doing actual surgery like I like to think that there's a precision to that art I would hate to think they like were just like really faking it because that would be really crap that would be dreadful if they were faking it (laughs) but in every job I've ever had I am it's like 10% 10% magic, 10% knowledge, 80% just making it up literally on the spot. I am flapping about not knowing what the hell is coming next on most things. That's <laughs> just dreadful. So the people that you chose, so Carol, your mum. I say mum, you say mum. People don't say the same mum. We're all different. Um, <laughs> and Paul, lovely Paul Burns, taken too soon. And the producer on Geordie Shaw, who told you you were worth more. Your letters have been a pleasure and it has been a total pleasure talking to you, Vicky. A genuine pleasure. And thank you very much for doing it. You're so welcome, Jess. The feeling is mutual. That was really lovely. What a nice way to end my day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. 